0: Hey folks, I'm Nick DeLisandro, and this is Wait Five Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. Happy 4th of July, or I guess happy 3rd of July if you're listening to it on the day it comes out. I hope you have a safe and happy holiday weekend behind you and a safe and happy 4th ahead of you. I know for a fact that I'll be celebrating by watching Jaws, maybe more than once, maybe a few of the sequels. Definitely Jaws 3D, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's the 3rd today, and it's a very special episode, one that I have been looking forward to for quite some time. And what's more patriotic than... politics. <laughs> I said that with so much conviction, I'm sure that you believe me, but genuinely, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, which is reconnecting with a friend, a a former guest on this show, who is a politician, and I, I just think it's really interesting that on this day, Independence Day, the 4th of July, a day that is meant to commemorate this country that we live in, our independence day. I just think it's important to talk about a central part of that, which is that there are these politicians that we vote for, that we elect to uh, municipal positions, local state positions, and federal positions that have a huge impact on our day-to-day life. And sometimes they're public and we know a lot about them, and sometimes they're not so public and we don't know really anything about them. They are the defining factor of American politics, or one of them. And it means a lot to me that I get to actually ask someone who is a politician about about what it means to be a politician, what their responsibility is, what their role is in the state of Florida, and talk about the nitty-gritty. How do you be a politician? <laughs> so, I got to speak to a politician about that. This week, we are catching up with Representative Anna V. Escamani of House District 42 for the House of Representatives here in Florida. She represents my hometown of Orlando. It's not every day that you are offered a tomato by a state legislator. It was a hot Tuesday morning, afternoon in June, and a representative, Ana V. Eskamani, was on her way to her next meeting when I was on my way out. Genuinely, she offered me a tomato that was growing on a vine outside of her office. I declined the offer, as kind as it was, but I could not get over how strange of a vignette it was. A situation I never imagined myself in just a few short years ago. When I arrived, she was meeting with a constituent. When I was leaving, she was headed to a Zoom meeting. I was sandwiched in the middle, one of many events the representative had that day. In fact, that night, her and her team were outside of Amway Center in downtown Orlando getting petitions signed outside of the Paramore concert. There's no question, the representative is busy. Which is why i was so grateful that we got a chance to talk for just an hour or so on this afternoon we'd been trying to schedule it for a few months you see i bumped into the representative at a holiday event in november of last year both of us delighted to randomly stumble onto each other and catch up for just a moment. We had met initially in 2019. She was a guest on the show, and we have stayed in semi-regular contact ever since, but now, it felt like it was a time for a check-in. I promised I'd make my way up to Tallahassee during the legislative session, but a busy spring prevented that from happening for both of us. We plan on following through on that episode in spring of next year, because I still have a lot of questions about Tallahassee and the legislative process, and I had a lot of questions to ask her when I met with her just last month. That's because, of course, this legislative session was a huge one in Florida politics. The laws and conversations coming out of the state government have garnered national attention, and Ana Eskamani has become a large figure in those conversations on a state level and a national level. She's a junior representative now in her third term, having been reelected in 2022 next election in 2024 will be her last chance for re-election before her term limit is up as a state representative meaning by 2026 she will no longer be a state representative she'll be on to something new which we will talk about at the end of this episode but She has become one of the most public, if not the most public, Democrat in Florida. Her social media presence and frequent appearances on local news have raised her profile. She's outspoken on her disagreement with many of the bills passed in this session, and she is one of many critics of Governor Ron DeSantis and his policies. With the legislative process in Florida becoming a central focus for many Floridians, with laws and their processes likely unknown to many, I figured now would be a good time to check in with the representative. We all know the Schoolhouse Rock song, you know, about a bill and how he becomes a law, but that's about Congress up in Washington, D.C. For Florida, I must ask, how does a bill become a law? So I sat down with Representative Ana V. Escamani and I asked her. Let's get to know the representative first, in case you've never heard of her.
1: This is Ana V. Escamani, and I'm proud to serve as a state House representative for District 42 in the Florida House.
0: How, did, how long have you been in this position?
1: My God, I started... In 2018, if you can believe it, yeah,
0: that's crazy. I mean, you had a pretty public um, um, campaign, your first campaign in 2018. What was that? What was that like coming into the position where people really knew, kind of knew who you were, especially at a national level, going into it because of the documentary that was produced at the time? What was that like for you? I'm going to interrupt myself briefly here. The representative was in a great documentary series called She's Running. I highly recommend that you check it out to see her origins and how she came to this role in the first place. Okay, back to the conversation.
1: Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of folks don't pay attention to state politics. Mm. And especially the state house is kind of seen as, you know, second tier to other positions like Congress. And so running for the state house, but also amplifying it and mm-hmm. helping to highlight why races like this matter was really important to me, mm-hmm. but it's also led to more awareness, more public engagement. Yeah, I walk into grocery stores. I walk into uh, community events. I was carrying it's eight cups of coffee to my office and someone yelled at me from their apartments. Right. Okay. And, and, and that's awesome because it, it shows, it tells me that folks have gained a better understanding a greater commitment to understanding state government, state politics right. and, and the value of who represents you in Tallahassee has changed dramatically mm-hmm. since my first elected in 2018. So that campaign was tough. That campaign Get garnered national attention because we were demonstrating just this wave of fresh faces, new voices, and women in government right. in a way this country's never seen before. But that momentum has absolutely been sustained, of course, with roadblocks and challenges like right. no other. But I, I take so much pride in you know maintaining that public access, that accountability, and really just raising awareness to why state government matters.
0: Right. Was that your plan when you were originally running? Was that even on your mind of, like, I'm going to be sort of a public face about this? I'm going to make myself in the conversation about state-level representatives? Was that something on your mind?
1: Well, I'm my, my biggest critic, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think about what I would want to see in my local elected official. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up in Orlando, especially as a daughter of a of working-class immigrant, I had no idea who my representative was. Mm-hmm. I actually am really curious. I feel like I should just go back to my FloridaHouse.gov, change the 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 year of the legislature and see who represented me back then because yeah. I have no idea yeah. and I think about yeah. the struggles my family had and how important it would have been to like contact a state mm-hmm. representative and say hey we're navigating this rental issues or mm-hmm. um, want to talk to you about you know social benefits and w- what resources are out there for me like we never even thought to do that because we had no idea that that was even an option right. and so I, I I made a commitment especially my first campaign that we were going to be different that mm-hmm. we were going to be Accessible, we're gonna be present, not just during campaign cycles, but present all the time. Right. And by no means, you know, are we perfect? There are so many things I still want to do and need to do, but we definitely have elevated the bar of expectation. And yeah. I think that's really, really important where more and more everyday people are asking, elected officials to mimic our level of engagement, yeah. and that is so important to the health of our
0: democracy. That word expectation is so interesting because I think that is a big part of it too. Especially when um nowadays, when we have a bill that comes through, obviously that's what we're going to talk about. But we have a bill that comes through, and and we are dissenting with it, whatever our politics are. The idea of being able to reach out to the representative and or your Senate state senator, and not only say. I disagree with this, or why do you agree with this? Why does this matter to you outside of your political party? What what does that matter? And and that sort of clarity, I'm sure, brings people a lot of comfort or discomfort. I'm sure it stresses some people out. I'm sure it brings people some peace. Well, how do you? How important do you think it is to just be straightforward with not only um, how you're voting, why you're voting, and and I'm, I'm obviously it's more than that because you're saying present to the community, but. Do you get messages from people, even people who maybe are not on the same political spectrum as you saying, why would you vote in favor of this? Do you get those messages?
1: Absolutely. I think a part of it is creating the avenues where it's okay to ask Mm -hmm. and it's okay to seek feedback and insight and for me to embrace the power of persuasion. Sure. Not every issue is red versus blue, let alone black and white. I mean, there's so much nuance in policy and there are moments where I have evolved on on a bill because the bill changed, mm. or because I learned something new about those impacted by the bill. Mm. And these are gonna be some of the more wonky topics. Yeah. Like I have so many bills in front of me that have to do with just one industry versus another. Yeah. And so you literally have to figure out okay, what, what is most fair, what's most equitable in this in this this issue. Right. We see so many scope of practice policies where it's sure. you know, medical issues of, of should it be doctors or nurses. Like these are the right. debates that happen all the time. Right. Don't get as much attention as you know something as controversial, but at the same time, those are moments where I need the feedback. Right, I'm not an expert, you know, mm-hmm. in in in, in X Y Z area, but you are. So tell me what you're processing, what you think, and when you create avenues for communication, it gives it. it, it Gives a sense of permission that not only is she accessible, but she actually wants to hear from me. Right. You know, we started during the beginning of the pandemic, these weekly Facebook lives, yeah. and I did them because we were getting inundated with questions about issues like unemployment, PPE, so forth. And I figured, you know what, if we can create a virtual space, maybe we'll help reduce the email flow. And mm-hmm. also we can hear people directly. Yeah. Now, it did not reduce email flow, candidly, um, emails, it actually increased emails because people were like, oh, she's so accessible, we sent her an email, yeah. but it did create a sense of community and help people remember they're not alone, Right, and we've sustained that. We never mm-hmm. stopped doing it, so yeah. now every Friday around 4 o'clock, right? we do Instagram and Facebook Live, we yeah. answer your questions. And that is, that is something that people have come to me and, and thanked me for. And just yeah. said, like, I, I look forward to those. They help me feel informed and powered, plugged in. And people can also ask me questions yeah. and, and it's an open forum. So we're not, you know, censoring anyone. We're not, we're not creating, you know, a place of, of despair or, dis- or, or rejection. Like yeah. I get questions too, where you, you might not like my answer, but I'll give you an answer. Yeah. And I think that's better than no answer
0: have you found that other representatives your peers colleagues from either side of the aisle have tried to model some of that as well maybe maybe I'm not saying like they're taking after your <laughs> <laughs> ah, no I, you
1: I think there that is they're
0: trying to do some of that as well yeah I think there is
1: a little bit of inspiration for sure yeah. I also would add that I tried to invite other people to the table sure. so for example like we're scheduling a town hall right now that like our team is probably the main anchor of it but mm. it's gonna include three other representatives. So I also think it's really important to share your platform. Yeah. And so we're actively doing that. And part of it too is just a mentorship component. Sure. So some lawmakers, if they've never done it before, might be nervous. They yeah. might not know well, how do I ensure safety and security. How, what if no one shows up? But it's mm-hmm. all these fears yeah. that lawmakers have, just like anyone else. Right, you're still like, a person. You're yeah. Still like you're I get worried. nervous yeah. when I do a town hall and it starts raining, and it's yeah. like, oh God, is anyone going to come? Like just like when you have a party, right? Sure. Yeah. Um. And so part of it too is like building confidence among mm-hmm. lawmakers that yeah, you can do this. It's going to be okay.
0: As I mentioned earlier, this was the representative's third election to her position, and it came at the same time as Governor Ron DeSantis was re-elected to the governorship. Many predicted he would announce his run for presidency, which he has since done seeking the Republican nomination for the presidency in 2024. It was predicted and proved true that DeSantis would launch his campaign on conservative policies that he passed at the Florida state level and use that as a list of successes for himself as he sought nomination. Being that Eskimani is on the other side of the aisle as a Democrat, I ask her, what were her expectations going into the legislative session with both chambers of the state legislature solidly Republican? The House is Republican, the Senate is Republican, and there's a Republican governor who is seeking higher office. What was that like as the Democrat, the minority? party in the state government. What did she expect and what did she find in Tallahassee?
1: I came in prepared for battle Mm -hmm. and leading with both grit and grace. Mm. Because you have to find opportunities to build partnerships, including across the aisle, but you also need to be very direct in your values and never sacrifice them. It's a very delicate dance. Mm. And it's it's something that I feel like I was definitely prepared for mm-hmm. just watching the volatility and polarization mm-hmm. in the legislature, but also in digital spaces where, where I, unfortunately it doesn't just exist online. It, it does translate into real life. And of course trying to be, you know, the, the, the junior lawmaker. Yeah. I mean, you know, now when you're in our case too, in the Florida Democratic House caucus, we only had two members of the senior class. Wow. And so us juniors are pretty much like seniors. Right. So you,
0: you, you become as just as much the the highest ranked as the seniors. So everyone
1: comes to you, right? Yeah. There's I mean, there's one, just a new level of respect, even for your Republican colleagues, because mm-hmm. seniority does carry a sense of um, uh, just leadership in the legislature. Sure. seniority is, is one of those metrics, if you will, that the legislature operates by. And then uh, when it comes to the freshmen needing support, you kind of become that escamami, if you will, and helping <laughs> make sure folks are going to be okay. And they know how to file a bill. They know how to file amendments. There's a lot of teaching and yeah. mentorship along the way. And then, you know, a lot of just long days. I mean, yeah. I try not to cry on the House floor, but I, I definitely... Did one of those, like, you know, looking down at your desk, crying moments. And because it's just, it's overwhelming at times, especially when you see communities that you care about or institutions that you value be eroded and targeted. It just, it's, it's very difficult to, you know, maintain composure all the
0: time. Many pundits made early predictions of the legislative session of 2023, believing the Republican Party of Florida, with the legislature and the governorship under their control, would pass conservative bills, especially ones that would raise DeSantis' national profile with the Republican nomination up for grab. Eskimani along with most in the legislature, expected this and came in ready to push back as best as they could, knowing the Democrats were the minority in the legislature and that pushback may not be as substantial as they'd have liked it to be.
1: You know what's coming, right. so don't act surprised. Yeah. That's my first piece of advice for everyone. Like, we're coming to a legislature with a supermajority Republican in the House and the Senate, and a governor who's running for president. So, don't act surprised when the most terrible bills get filed. Be prepared. In the context of the six-week abortion ban, that was filed on opening session. So, as the governor is walking to do his his you know state address to the yeah. legislature, this bill gets filed. So what is it,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you. What does that mean when you say it's filed? It, that means someone has a piece of paper that says we're doing this. It's supported by me. I'm Representative Smith or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm signing it on this day and I'm putting it in a box. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's a stupid question, but like... Yeah, what I mean, that's what it used to be. Walking down the thing, How, what do you mean it's being filed? Is someone pushing a button on their computer?
1: It's a button. Okay. Yeah, it's a button. <laughs> Much less Mr.
0: Smith goes to Washington. No, no Jimmy Stewart with all the letters. No, it actually, the it, it
1: actually, to primer contact, so we have a drafting office Okay. in the Florida House and Florida Senate. So this impression that lawmakers are writing their own bills Sure. Is a farce. Right. Like,
0: you're asking someone else. You're yeah. saying, I want it to be this. Can you put it into legal? Text? Correct. Okay.
1: Now, there are going to be lawmakers that do write their own bills. Sure. And, or at the very least, amend and edit before they file. Sure. So, like, you know, so I'll go to my dashboard. It's called Legis. It's mm-hmm. just a computer assist program we have as lawmakers. That's crazy. And we'll say, Create new bill. Click. And then you. You put in what you want. Now, you could say, I want to amend this statute to do X, Y, Z. You could upload bills from other states and say, I want to do this in Florida. Whoa. Or you literally could just say, like, I want a bill that, you know, mandates that everyone wears blue glasses. Like, whatever. Honestly, whatever. Wow. And the drafting staff, and, I, you know, they, they work in an office that has, like, very little windows. And they'll just, like, you know type, sure. type, type, type away, and they'll kick you back a, a version of the bill. You read it, you can submit revisions, or if you like it, you can click hold, or you can click file. Wow. So, in the context of the abortion ban, I mean, th- you know, this is involving, like, different national groups, mm-hmm. like, they're emailing the draft to other people sure, for feedback. Sure,
0: lobbyists, from other advocates. Totally. I mean,
1: sure. But ultimately, you know, when you click file a few hours later, or yeah. sooner, it gets posted. And it gets okay. posted, like, online on myflorahouse.gov, fLcent.gov, it has a bill number usually randomly attached to it, but leadership yeah. can also like usually if a bill is number one to ten, it's a priority of leadership. Right. So this this was, you know, within that range. And, you know, like I said, I expected it to be filed on opening day because the yeah. other abortion bans are filed opening day. So right. don't act surprised. That was the
0: first news that was coming out of pretty much every single legislature across the country. Oh, yeah.
1: A, a, a well, Republican and they do that because all the reporters are focused on the State of the Union address yeah. for this for Florida. So, like, the thought, too, is to do it when reporters are too busy to cover it. Okay. Now, with that said, I have my laptop with me on the House floor. You typically don't bring your work stuff with you on the house floor that day Mm because it's all pop and circumstance but i was expecting this to drop so i brought my laptop with me and on my laptop i had already crafted weeks earlier my statements if a six-week abortion ban was filed Mm -hmm. because i just expected it every state was already doing it of course the lord's going to do it and, and that gave me the opportunity that once I saw it filed, I was able to get, you know, our media materials and post on social media, do all of that within 10 minutes. Wow. Click it. I had an email blast ready to go. I had to make quick edits and then click send. And, you know, obviously it's not ideal to, to, to be at your computer during a state of the address. Like you trying to be polite during those times at the same time, if you're going to have an abortion in six weeks, honey, we've passed
0: polite. <laughs> Sure. So I gotta get this done. Sure, it's uh, a very strong stance for you and for and, and for members of your party. A hundred percent. When it comes that quickly, especially and for my that, community, of my course. community needs
1: to know what is happening yeah. and that this was just filed to be ready. So, but but those are some of the not just operational pieces, but you know the just the mentally being prepared and yeah. like again, don't be surprised. We know that they're gonna do the worst of the worst. So just be ready for it yeah. and. Um, and, and keep your community closed throughout the process.
0: For Democrats, the six-week abortion ban was an expected and troubling development. It, it, it is extremely controversial nationwide. It's not supported very much nationwide. In fact, those sort of extremely strict abortion bans are proving to be less, less and less popular at the national level, at the state level. I'll include some information in the episode description about this abortion ban because it's intricate and complicated and frankly it's facing some legal challenges as many of the bills that have been passed by the state government are there a lot of them are facing these legal challenges and the abortion ban is as well there was a another abortion ban the 15-week abortion ban that was passed last year and it too is facing some very serious legal ramifications so We're sort of in a limbo state when it comes to reproductive rights in the state of Florida, and a lot of that is going to develop as time goes along, but Ana Eskamani and her party expected it to come down, so they knew that it was coming, and they had to prepare for a counterattack, though it did still get signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. It's complicated. It's still going on. I will include some links so you can read more about it. But now comes one of my favorite things to do on this show, where I get to ask the stupid questions to a professional. So I asked the representative, How do you vote? I don't mean, do you vote, you know, along the party line? You just vote for what Democrats vote for. No, I mean, literally. How do you vote? What does one person physically do in order to vote? Do you raise a hand, push a button? Do you wave a flag or pop a balloon or, you know, spray paint something? What do you do? do? (laughs) What does that look like? Well, here is what the representative has to say. And we got into the procedure of those little details of voting throughout the legislative session.
1: So when a lot of folks watch C-SPAN and watch Congress, they see, like, you know, voting being open for, like, X period of time. And you can run and vote and, and you don't have to stay there, that kind of stuff. It's very different in the legislature. Okay. So when it comes to voting on the floor, mm. whether it's the Senate floor or the House floor, uh, you basically vote after a debate. So usually the structure is you have second reading. Second reading is when the bill is presented and other lawmakers get to ask questions.
0: Okay. And In support of or against? Any question Anybody. you want. Okay. As
1: long as it's related to the bill. That is also the time frame where we can do amendments. Right. And if you file an amendment, you also will be asked questions by your colleagues. Right. And an amendment can either pass or fail. And so you're voting on amendments in second reading as well. Right. Most amendments are just voted on what's called a voice vote. But if you put five hands up in the sky, then there's a board vote. And I like to do board votes because then you get accountability. So if you file an amendment that you want a record, instead of people just saying yes or no, you can take it to the board.
0: Okay, so so the the a voice vote meaning they go you yay you nay you yeah and that we like that not even that specific
1: okay. a voice vote is just all those in favor say yay, and then it's just a crowd like everyone at once all those all those opposed say no, and then and then the speaker whoever's at the dice he's like okay and the no's have it. Whoever's louder, basically. But they always assume Republicans have it because there's more of them.
0: Right. <laughs> so there are, there even, are a, a numeral, <laughs> wise But
1: even like when numeral. we're louder, because, you know, people are not on the floor the whole time. Right. Like, if you're looking at the House floor, there's a break room. It's called the Members' Lounge. Behind. So there's a lot of members who are just, like, eating and chilling behind the wall Watching the TV of the Florida Channel, but they're not actually on the floor. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's gotten better this past year where more Republicans are on the floor than sure. usual, but yeah, there's times where like no one's even on the floor. So when we do a voice vote, like clearly the no's or yeses that our Democrats have it, You're but just screaming. You're yeah. just making your voice. Right, but exactly yeah. but if they're going to do it by numbers yeah we don't have the numbers. so then you go like
0: this you say i want Do you mean like five people put their five hands, hands in there go up okay and you say we want a board vote meaning if they you're if
1: they see five hands up after the voice vote then they have to go to the board you don't even have so to that say it so that
0: means that they are going person by person
1: they're going to so this is what happens the board is activated so so you on your desk you have a red button for so no. There are buttons. Yeah. Okay. A yes button, that's yes, and then you have the page, which is kind of weird, but you can ask a page to bring you a snack. <laughs> which which I have I don't do. It feels so weird like I mentor a lot of young people. And so I love that young people are like in the chamber, but I don't need you to get me a snack. Like you should be learning about government, not running around to get me a snack. So, but a lot of people will come by your desk and say, Oh, the pages are bored. They'll press your button for you to like bring someone over. And it's like, ah. so yeah, anyways, um, so, I don't really, I don't, but those are my three buttons. Okay. Those are my three buttons. And so, um, you know, the, say the clerk will open the board members will proceed to vote. Yeah. And the board's only open for like 10 seconds, if right, less. Right, so everybody just do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can, you can change it. You know, you can you can sure. go back and forth. But if your feet are on the blue carpet, you have to vote. Wow. Yeah, so the floor is blue. And like if you're anywhere on the floor, right. you can't not... We don't have an abstention option. Right. If you're not there, then obviously you can't vote. Yep. And no one should vote for you if you're not there. Right. And the clerk can actually like lock your desk to make sure you don't vote. But if you're on the floor, you need to vote. And we have had issues where people are like, they don't want to vote on something, so they don't. Wow. But kind of it's against house rules if you're doing that while you're on the floor. Wow. Yeah. But with that said, with, a, with amendments, like I said, either it's a voice vote or you get five hands and it's a board vote. Mm-hmm. And Republicans in our case hate it when we do board votes. They hate it because one, they don't want to be there. And two, they hate it because it's accountability. And, you know, if we do a board vote on something like, you know, exceptions for rape and incest on abortion ban, they don't want to be on the record voting no on that. But amendments are an important tool of accountability. Hmm. And both sides do that. Um, but obviously as minority, it's one of the only tools that we have. But you fast forward to voting on bills. So bills are always going to be a board vote. Hmm. It's never a voice vote on a bill. Okay. So in that case... So what's the difference?
0: between those two. So you don't
1: have to do five hands if you will. Okay. Like like the bill itself, you'll go like I said you'll, you'll do second reading, which is asking the member, the sponsor of the bill questions on their bill mm. if there are amendments filed to go through the amendment process. Mm. And then once that's over, it gets moved to third reading. Typically that's the next day. Okay. Sometimes we can't do it all at once, if we waive the rules. Third reading is is debate. But I actually don't even know if I'd call it debate cause it more just feels like speeches. Like, yeah. we don't really get the chance to debate. Like, we're not going back and forth. Like, there's not
0: someone red and someone blue over here.
1: Yeah, which scenes. I actually would love because sure. I feel like you could actually persuade people that way. It's basically just speeches. So, you know, like, I'll give my three, four-minute remarks of why I think the bill is bad or good, vice versa. Um, and then after that, we vote and... It'll just be the clerk opens the, you know, machine, members will proceed to vote and then you vote yes or no again.
0: So what was it? I'm, I'm sorry I wanted to just clarify. When we were talking a minute ago about the the uh, voice vote, that was not a bill, what was that for? Amendments. Amendments, okay. So we're yeah. talking about the district amendments and bills. Got and
1: it's similar in committee, except committee it is roll call. They don't have a board in committee. Right. So in committee, you know, when you have a bill before you, the the first process is the sponsor presents the bill. Mm -hmm. Then as members, we ask questions. After questions, if there are amendments filed in committee, we'll do amendments. And again, it's a voice vote unless you have, in the case of a committee, I think it's three hands. And then if you have that many people who want a roll call vote, you'll do a roll call vote on the amendment. And then, in the case of committee, it's public testimony after that. Okay. So there is no public testimony once a bill gets to the floor. So for the public that wants to engage in a more intentional way to express their opinions, you have to come to the committee
0: process. So what was it like as these issues, as these bills? I mean, this was these are national conversations. We we have Florida has always been. In the spotlight when it comes to these conversations, obviously a year ago we had the you know uh, the family rights and education bill, whatever right. its official title is, right. um, that that got so much uh, national coverage and became dubbed the "Don't Say Gay" bill and has been derided and mocked and and even copied in some states. Obviously since then, and this was from my perspective as a as a voter, as a civilian, as a public, as a, as, a, as a private person. 10 times the coverage that we were getting because we had 10 times the bills that were this sort of controversial that then started mirroring things that were happening in obviously Tennessee, Arkansas, different state, Texas had similar states. And we were seeing public rhetoric around it becoming more and more controversial. What was it like showing up to vote or even speaking with colleagues who were voting in favor of those. Yeah. Bills. People who you probably have spoken with, had lunch with, know their families. Like, what was it like for you to be in that situation, knowing that that attention was on the, the House?
1: It's very challenging, especially yeah. when you have this context that, you know, people want you to get something done in Tallahassee and bring something back. And it's hard to do that when you're also working with colleagues that like vehemently oppose your values and are pushing forward bills that hurt your community. So it's very difficult. And I will say, because the agenda was so extreme, a lot of Republicans also voted no, not as much as we needed to stop bills. So for example, upwards of seven Republicans voted no on the abortion ban, Mm -hmm. 10 voted no on union busting. We had at least one to two that voted no on the, on the anti-immigrant bill and some of the LGBTQ plus uh, targeting. So I also look towards those colleagues as, you know, folks where you can, try to not only just find common ground but like how can we like help you influence your caucus because again so much of this is also relationships and there are people for example one of my colleagues Representative caruso he voted yes on the 15-week abortion ban but this year he voted no because he thought six weeks went way too far Mm -hmm. and if in the context of his family like him and his wife had no idea that she was pregnant at six weeks so like you try to like welcome the evolution while also maintaining accountability always, cause you want to make sure those folks are consistent mm. in, in what they say. But at the same time, you have to lead with, with full eyes and open heart. Mm. And that's how I operate where I'm always willing. If you are, if you are willing to have a conversation then I am too, mm. but I, I think the tough part is we're in this environment where a lot of people aren't. Mm. And that, that that's difficult. You know, I, for one of my colleagues who carried the anti-academic freedom bill, mm-hmm. a very difficult person to work with in the sense that he just doesn't want to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, I will go up and have a conversation and ask whether, you know, are you willing to accept this amendment? Are you willing to change X, Y, Z? And you just get nothing out of that conversation. Right. Right. So it's hard because you are constantly trying to be that collaborative person, but it, you just don't get a response back. And a part of it too is, what are our constituents doing to also hold elected officials accountable for bipartisanship and for collaboration? And Because I do think it, it translates, you know, from the grassroots up. And I will say that as a Democrat, there's more pressure to also be polarizing. And so it's a constant balance between trying to model good governance while also realizing that, that you know, we are angry and and rightly so. Hmm. And so, how do you manage that energy all the time to sure. like fight like hell on XYZ issues, and also the next bill is one that's yours, right? right. Like it's asking, so complicated. Right.
0: The thing that I, I, to translate from what I understand, you're saying is that you you feel strongly uh, uh, opposed to a specific bill, and you are in public on social media, on the news, in the in the halls of of, of the legislature, saying. I am opposed to this bill, not just because it is my party, because my party is opposed to it, but because I, as a legislature of my community representing my people, am, am against this bill being passed. And But you can't be like, and screw you, get out of here, because you need to keep those connections, those bridges at a certain point, because like you said, you have bills you want to get passed, you have committees, you're probably on with these people. And if you're burning those bridges, those connections, then you're never going to get anything done. I mean, we were,
1: exactly. I mean, for example, we were able to secure more than $7 million in the state budget just for District 42. Mm. And we were able to secure millions of dollars for the University of Central Florida. Mm. We were able to increase EASE funding for Rollins College. Like, we were able to find these opportunities to work across the aisle on issues, again, that don't get as much attention, not as controversial, but are very important to the longevity and health of our district and of Central Florida. And then you have examples where I'm actually voting like against my party on something. Like sure. there was one bill, it was so ironic, has to do with data privacy. Mm. And so in that case, many of my Democratic colleagues were kind of siding with Facebook and some of these other big companies on some of the policies. And for me I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Like, I think it's actually important that we have access to our data and that we can make decisions of what companies do with our data. And this right. was a pretty modest bill. Now there were some amendments that were giving people heartburn that were eventually removed anyways. But in that situation, you know, I looked at the speaker, who, again, like, we're very opposites, And he kind of made this, like, kind of gesture to me, like, what is your caucus doing, you know? And I was like, ah. in that case, like, I was very gentle, but I was like, I think we should vote for this, um, this bill because data privacy is very important and consumer protection should be prioritized. So there's moments like that, too, where, you know, you're, you also need to try carefully with your Democratic colleagues. You don't want to mm-hmm. isolate your Democratic colleagues, either. No policy is black and white. No policy is nua- is not nuanced. Mm. Everything is complicated. And, you, you know, I, I, the, the only exceptions I think I'll make are, like, the most controversial bills when mm. it comes to banning abortion, attacking LGBT plus people, making it harder to vote. Those issues are pretty literal. But the majority of bills, the ones who don't get as much attention as others, are fairly nuanced and even open to being amended, there was one bill that I had that was focused on drones out of old things. Long story short, it was a bill that Walmart really wanted because Walmart wants to pilot drone delivery services. Mm-hmm. And the bill would have basically exempted these drone launch pads of the Florida Building Code. And I was like, I don't think so. Like, safety standards are important. You don't want to build a structure that falls apart, that catches fire, that... Hurricane. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, you don't... Not, and, and I can't trust a private company to do the right thing. I Especially can't. one that's
0: not like a Florida private company. Like right. a company that exists solely in our, in our state. Exactly. And understands why we have these specific building
1: codes. 100%. So during the committee process, you know, I asked a lot of questions. Mm. And after the committee was over, I voted no on the bill. I said, I don't feel comfortable voting for something that's going to completely carve out building code requirements. Maybe... We can find a compromise but i just can't vote yes on this right so the lobbyists came up to me we have a bit of a debate you know back and forth a little bit but they conceded to some of my points a few weeks later they come back to my office and they say okay here's the changes we made the bill's coming to your next committee what do you think i looked at it and i was like I, I mean, this is good this is good and they, they basically um reinsert themselves back to the, the building code and created one or two exceptions because of their building structure it doesn't fit the specifics of a three-story building it's more of a two and a half story building so you know I get it we'll mm-hmm. figure this out it's a disruptor disruptors don't fit every standard and I was able to vote yes on the bill because they accepted my feedback and, and that was a Republican bill too so but a part of that is because I'm constructive I'm not destructive sure. and that's the difference right mm-hmm. is to provide constructive feedback and ask questions that are, they're not trying to embarrass you. They're just legitimate, good policy, good government questions. And those are hard to find, but really important if the process is actually going to work.
0: I'm reminded at this moment of an interesting thing that I saw in the legislature this session, which is both parties, Eskamani was one of the people who participated in this, but I saw the Republicans doing this as well. They were filing sort of, I use the word snarky bills. Bills that were sort of done to prove a point rather than to actually receive any votes. The one that the Republicans did that I found very interesting, I, I don't quite know what the point of it was, but the one snarky one is uh, from the state legislature that that the Republicans filed. This is an article from NBC Miami. It was published on March 1st. And essentially what it reads is is that there was a state senator who was a Republican from Spring Hill. I believe that his name is Blaze Ingolia i believe i'm pronouncing that correctly he filed a bill that was called the quote-unquote ultimate cancel act the bill that was filed by this state senator wanted to essentially cancel the existence of a political party to cancel the filings of a political party That, quote, has previously advocated for or been in support of slavery or involuntary servitude, end quote. So what that means is the Democrats back in the 1800s were the party that were in favor of keeping slavery in place. And people like Abraham Lincoln, they were Republicans. They were in favor of abolition. So this was sort of a snarky bill that was trying to, quote unquote, cancel the Democratic Party. It was done... I, sardonically, it was done to to make a point. But it wasn't just Republicans that were doing that. Anna Eskamani had a few of these snarky amendments, and I asked her about it because they got headlines, and she did them to make a point. So let's. I asked her wh- what was the purpose of that, and how did they go about doing that? And and I learned from that that the amendment process to a bill, the way that state legislators are able to sort of tweak and and fix a bill that is going through the state legislature is very very complicated and its ramifications go far beyond just the conversations within the legislature itself so i'll let the representative explain i mean there were a couple of these snarky bills or snarky amendments that were going through can you talk a little bit about your can you i know that there were a couple can you give an example yeah of that i am i am a, the,
1: the queen of petty amendments i really am and i so i don't file all of them sometimes i give them to the other people to file because i want to share the love but the amendment process is also a messaging opportunity, and it is an opportunity to highlight hypocrisy. Sure. And I, I always give, you know, again, this is one of the ways that you you try to maintain a sense of, of collegiality. I, I will tell a Republican that I'm filing an amendment. I, I always tell them what it is. I, you know, I don't give them a heads up on the contest per se, but at an effort of collegiality, I'll say, hey, we're going to follow a couple of moments on your bill, just be ready, you know? So you try to find, like, you don't have to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But you try to at least be respectful in that way to your colleagues. Sure. Um, I think one of my favorite ones was on this awful bill to basically eliminate training requirements for firearms. So this is referred to as permalist carry. Mm-hmm. Florida already has some of the loosest gun laws in the nation, and now we've loosened it more by saying you don't have to get training to own a firearm no permits nothing like that at all. So, I filed an amendment that basically said that you could bring guns into committee rooms, into meetings of in the legislature because right now in Florida statute you cannot bring a gun into any meeting of the legislature, you can't bring a gun into any meeting of a local government, you can't bring a gun into, you know, different private facilities like theme parks can restrict access. And so my thought process was, okay, if y'all say more guns make us more safe, why don't you allow them in the chamber? Have them come in committee room. Why do you check people's, you know, belongings when they walk in? We have metal detectors in the state capitol. Why? I thought you guys were fine with this. And oh my God, it was so funny. I I was trying, I was, it was like such an important moment of highlighting hypocrisy because of course the Republicans voted down. And so, it's just one of those examples of, you know, do you really practice what you preach? No, you don't. And so, I I try to find moments like that when it comes to uh, the amendment process. I had another one, a little more wonky, but on the academic freedom of speech legislation. Because my thought process was, okay, if you truly want to support freedom of speech, then... Let's create an environment where a student organization can establish itself, even if they don't have a, a sponsor, a faculty mm. sponsor on campus. Because part of my concern is when you're passing these bills that restrict things like uh, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that if there's a club, maybe it's uh, one of the Divine Nine stories for fraternities, or maybe it's a club that focuses on racial justice or gender issues, what have you. You're not going to have a faculty sponsor because they're going to be nervous to sponsor an organization because it could impact their employment with the university. And so we're going to have an environment where student groups are going to struggle. So why not create a, a system where if you can't find an advisor on your college campus, you can use an advisor from a different college campus to so mm-hmm. basically open up the options for students, sure. right? This would serve conservatives as well. Because if you have a conservative group who can't find a faculty sponsor because you guys think that... Conservatism doesn't exist on college campuses, which I can tell you going up in Florida that is false. But that's your fear, this will benefit conservative students as well. Of course, they voted it down. But that's a really important issue to lift up because I suspect that we're gonna go to court with this. Hmm. So part of the mandatory process and part of just the question-answer process is for the record. Because you're also trying to help a future lawsuit have evidence that what the intent of this law is, it's unconstitutional. And that there is there is plenty of of intention that has been publicly expressed of what this bill is really oh, about. Wow! Which I, was I never even
0: thought about
1: that. Oh yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. Like, like when we ask questions on bills, yeah, it's it's not just for fun. Like we're creating a record for litigation. Yeah, and the best example I can give you is the Disney lawsuit.
0: The representative is now about to talk about the lawsuit that is between the state of Florida and the Reedy Creek area that that is Disney so Disney and the state of Florida if you do not know are in a pretty intense legal battle right now that's going to have some pretty serious ramifications on Orlando And the state for years to come, depending on how things go. Um, That is a very complicated story. I am intending to do an episode on it in August of this year. I just want to dig in and, and really explain to you what that story is, the Reedy Creek versus Florida story. But what you need to know is that essentially Disney came out opposing the don't say gay law from last year. The state government, Ron DeSantis, was... Not happy with that response by Disney, and they decided to start pulling some of the protections that Disney had using their Reedy Creek land that they had set up. It's genuinely extremely complicated, and now Disney is suing Florida and the governor over this conflict, this 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 move that the state has done. And interestingly, a conversation that Ana Eskamani had with another legislator on television, actually, is having an impact on that court filing. I'll let the representative speak on it.
1: Right. So when you read the lawsuit that Disney filed against the governor, against the state of Florida, it cites many comments made by Republicans in the committee process on the House floor that was in response to our questions. Actually, one of the statements, I kid you not, came from a debate that myself and Representative Randy Fine did on the Squawk Box. We were we were live on the Squawk Box, which is, you know, uh, morning news. Yeah. And it was a debate about this issue last year. Uh, I feel like I did very well. Don't mind saying myself. Uh, but with that said, they, they pulled quotes from him. Admitting that this was about because, you know, they keep saying that this is not about tardy. Business, this is about accountability for all corporations. But they were able to pull statements made on the House floor in committee and from TV interviews and press conferences yeah. that that's not the case. So it's just a reminder that, like, even when you think we don't have a plan, we, we probably do, mm-hmm. honestly. And the challenge we have in the Florida House is what's called structured debate mm-hmm. and structured Q and A. We cannot filibuster anymore in the Florida House. Hmm. We used to filibuster when I first got elected. We would carry debates past midnight, try to I use that. try to use the House rules to delay a bill, but Republicans change the House rules on us. Everything is timed.
0: So I was seeing a lot of this conversation about public debate and things like that. You would obviously uh, during the session you would post like, "There's only this amount of time for public debate on this yep. topic." Is that related to that? Correct. Okay.
1: Like. House Bill 999, Senate Bill 266, as an example, this is a huge omnibus bill that goes after academic freedom in the collegial environment. We only had 20 minutes for questions on the House floor. So I had to consolidate because I had maybe 60 questions that I had gathered from attorneys, I'd gather from academic experts, from faculty, from students, I had all these questions from like the D9 organizations, and I had to spend an hour to consolidate and bring it to 20, 20 20-ish, and then I assign them out to my caucus members. And I didn't even give myself a question because there was no time. So I gave other people, again, about sharing your platform, helping others shine. And then, of course, you have to also account that Republicans are going to waste time by asking questions that they don't really care about. So then you're competing for question time.
0: Oh, man. It's so Greek <laughs>
1: it's, chorus. It's oh, my so... God. It's very sophomoric, too. It's so, like, yeah. I mean,
0: it's yeah. so, like, the, like, pre- Like ancient Greek democracy things of like, we'll have this amount of, I mean it literally is Mr. Smith goes to Washington.
1: Oh, there was a moment, uh, actually I think it was on the medical rejection bill so Mm -hmm. another bill that passed would allow doctors and and other health practitioners to uh, reject a patient based on a moral objection, so there's that policy as well and I, I was trying to ask a question and literally I'm like holding my microphone up because that's how you signal that you want to ask a question and three Republican men were all in front of me doing the same thing to block the speaker's view of me. And I literally had to climb on my desk and just like stick my arm in the air to be seen over them. I mean, it's just, it's so sophomoric. It's so sophomoric but you just got to be able to do it.
0: So also why that's important too, um, it brings me back to what we were talking about before because I'm really fascinated in the fact that a lot of these bills are being met with lawsuits now. They're being tied up in courts. So is that on... Uh, legislators' minds when they're trying to get something through that they know maybe is not popular. That's yeah. why they're limiting that public time of so course. that they're not being able to ask the questions that can be used in the
1: court. 100%. And they'll stop you if you're asking a really good question. So there's some moments where I get stopped because I'm like on a roll. And also, even when you're doing a really good debate, they'll stop you. I had I had a moment where I was talking about you know the privatization of public education. We're sending all these public taxpayer dollars to private schools many that are religiously focused that don't teach history that are anti-lgbtq so forth so i brought up the point i said you know i bet that if someone took this money to create a giant woke school y'all would have an issue with that rainbows everywhere and i'm like i'm like gesturing to the sky and then my microphone gets cut off and and the speaker at the dicey was like um, okay members settle down settle down and the only members that were that were engaged with me were those who were supportive. And they were just like clapping a little bit or snapping, not doing anything disruptive, mm-hmm. but they did it because I was like on a roll with my debate. And I really do think they don't want a viral moment. I really do think that they, they cut you off when they think you're doing good because they want to prevent any type of commentary that could be a strong message mm-hmm. or could really appeal to everyday people. And yeah, yeah. Or could get national attention. Exactly. Exactly, it, yeah. exactly. Wow. exactly.
0: As we have talked about on the show, a lot of these laws are being met with public pushback and they're being met with pushback in the state legislature. And now they are facing court filing suits against them that are going to stop them from going forward or temporarily stop them from going forward and will create more legal conflicts in the future. And what the representative is about to say is that people want fast results. People want an answer, a solution. They want a thing that they don't like to go away like that. And, and sometimes... The process, the the legal process, is much more complicated than that. And the representative talks about how difficult that is for her and for constituents to have to deal with something that maybe she disagrees with, maybe she sees no point in it actually going through, but there's no immediate answer for it. It's something that has to go through the process. And that can be a difficult thing for a representative who has constituents that want answers.
1: It's really, really important because I think the everyday public wants fast results. And the reality, especially when we are preparing for litigation, there just are no fast results. Mm -hmm. Now, timing is important. Most bills go into law on July 1st. Mm -hmm. Even if they're signed early, most of them don't have a start date till July 1st. That's Florida's fiscal year. So usually July 1st is a start date for most of these policies. One of the differences with the gender affirming care ban, this was a bill that went into effect upon signature because it's impacted healthcare immediately. A lot of confusion, which was the point. But with that said, when a lawsuit gets filed, whatever organization or entity that's working on the litigation, they need to have plaintiffs. And that can also take time. They have to identify people who are directly impacted by this policy. In the context of the gender affirming care ban, they, found, they identified three minors who were impacted, three trans minors, and their families. And they were the ones who became the plaintiffs. In the context of the collegial attacks, they're gonna have to find plaintiffs that are impacted, professors, students, so forth. And that does take some time, especially for it to be a really good lawsuit where you don't want to be kicked out for standing. Many good lawsuits, especially in our more conservative courts, they have been kicked off the, the process, the, the docket, not because they don't bring up a good point, but because the judge says that the plaintiffs don't have standing. And we have faced this issue on abortion issues where they have they have claimed, the judges have claimed, well the organizations don't have standing or doctors don't have standing. You have to find patients. And of course, it's very hard to find patients who are trying to get an abortion to be plaintiffs. It's just very difficult to do that. And that's on purpose. But just to remember that when we're laying out on the ground, like through the Q&A process, through the immeditory process, we're working in conjunction with organizations like the ACLU, like the Faculty Union, like SCIU, like everyone that has some sort of I mean, the immigrant rights community, we worked with them very closely on Senate Bill 1718 to create a foundation for a lawsuit to grow from. And then you'll see that, that record in the lawsuit itself. You'll see quotes from lawmakers. You'll see people like me get subpoenaed. I was actually subpoenaed for five and a half hours by the governor's attorneys on the gerrymandering lawsuit. Wow. So during this past session, I had to step away multiple times, three different sessions of uh, deposition with one of the governor's attorneys. Wow. Yeah, and I don't post about it because, you know, I don't want to like distract from what's happening in this session. Sure. But that's a huge chunk of my time, but also of course of just my focus, but it's important because I want to make sure these lawsuits are successful. Yeah. And if I can be a witness to help set the the, the record straight, I will do that. Right. But just a reminder that like a lot of these fights, they do take time. And even when we win the first case, then a situation has an appeal where now it goes to a different level courts, right? So just to remember to hold on to hope, keep your focus long-term and remember that Florida is worth fighting for.
0: Our time was running short now and I was sad to have to say goodbye. We had talked so much and and I already had more questions that I wanted to ask more Complicated things that I needed to know about, but the representative was busy. She had other things to do. So I appreciate the last sentiment that she said. And it's something that I think about all the time. Florida is worth fighting for. Certainly true. A lot of people repeat that statement. I would say it's one of the pillars of this show's very existence. Something that the representative and I have always agreed on. Florida is worth fighting for. But I couldn't let the representative go without asking a question that had been nagging at me pretty much since I realized that this upcoming election would be her last chance to be elected as a representative in the state legislature. So I asked her, what comes next? My My last question, I'll get out of your hair, is just, obviously, this is the the term limit is about to hit for you. Yes. You're about to be, you have your last election coming up in 2024. What does that feel like? Like, what does it feel like doing it sort of for the last time in this particular role?
1: First of all, time flies. Yeah. Like it's wild that it's it's already been five years yeah. and then we're approaching our last election cycle. I want our kickoff to be fabulous <laughs> and big, so we're planning it out for yeah. September fifth and want to make sure that everyone's invited and um, have a be a reflection of the the work we've done and yeah. the work we'll continue to do because we're definitely not done. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna be next in twenty twenty six. There's gonna be a lot of options before us. A lot of folks have asked us to run statewide. We've also been thinking more and more about a municipal level because my understanding is that our mayor, uh, Buddy Dyers, is going to have this be his last term. Mm -hmm. So 2027 is going to be a potential opportunity to focus on local government. Sure. So we're keeping all doors open and I really do lean on everyday people to help inspire us and and guide us and give us their feedback on what they want us to do next.
0: It's always refreshing to talk to the representative. It's always an interesting time, whether you agree with her politics or not. She is an outspoken, candid, and fascinating person. I've never had a bad conversation with the representative, whether it was on microphone or out in the streets of Orlando just randomly bumping into each other. We always have an interesting conversation, and I always step away enlightened. I think that it's something we should ask for from all of our politicians, whether it's your local county government, your mayor, your state legislature, your governor, your senator up in Congress, your representative in Congress, or hell, even the president of the United States. We should ask, I think, for a standard of openness. Representative Ana Eskamani, in my opinion, sets the bar pretty high. She's straightforward. She's open. She's easy to talk to. And she owns up to things. When people confront her about things that they disagree with her decision or the way that she behaves, she owns up to it, explains herself, gives her reasoning, and frankly, I'm always impressed with her ability to just state it plain. This is why I did this, whether you agree or not. I find that refreshing. I find it to be the sort of model we hope for. And I'm very glad that If Florida is a place worth fighting for, as I believe it is, I am grateful that we have people like Ana Eskamani in that fight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you were here and I'm so glad that you listened to this episode because I think it's really interesting to get to talk to someone as public and as important as Representative Ana V. Escamani. So, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at WFMPod. You can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reach out to me. And if you want to hear our previous episode with Ana Escamani, there is a link in the episode description so you can go give it a listen. It was It's an old episode episode the the microphone I actually literally brought my laptop and microphone to that meeting which is not what I did this time I had an actual handheld microphone this time so I didn't need to bring an entire setup just to do a conversation (laughs) so go listen to that episode share this episode with your friends and family on social media and leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or spotify it helps the show grow means a lot to me as it always does Thank you to Representative Anavi Eskamani and her team for allowing me an hour of her time to chat about Florida, Orlando, politics, and the complicated little buttons that sit on her desk up in Tallahassee. So thank you to the representative. You can follow her on Instagram. She is definitely someone to keep an eye on as her profile continues to grow as she continues to make an impact on the state of Florida. Thank you to the representative and her team for her time. All the music used in this episode was originally composed. All right, folks. Next week is the last episode before we take a quick summer break. It is July 10th. Then we will be taking a two-week break until July 24th. And July 24th is going to be the five-year anniversary special. I am so excited. I cannot wait for you to hear the episode. It's going to be very, very fun looking back on the last five years of this show and celebrating some moments and some things that I never got back to that I'm very proud to get a chance to talk about more on this show. And then the end of July straight through August, we're going to be talking about some really big stuff red tide reedy creek book bands and more there's so much to talk about in the state of florida and i'm very much looking forward to closing out this summer with you but before then next week we're going to be talking about hockey i have to talk about hockey maybe i'm just going to talk about sports but i'm mostly going to be talking about hockey and an unusual little rat that has a very intimate relationship with one of the most interesting teams in the state of Florida. So we'll be back at you next week for episode six of this season. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and go Gator and muddy the water. Have a great week. Have a great 4th of July week. I hope you enjoy yourself, and I will see you next Monday. See you later, alligator.